0: and welcome to HEAL Podcast. I'm a trauma psychotherapist and your host, Lucy Ritchie. I'm very excited for our guest today. We are interviewing Dr. Leslie Korn. Dr. Korn is a Harvard Medical School-trained traumatologist who specializes in mental health nutrition and integrative approaches to treating mind and body. Her work centers on the intersection of trauma, cognition, and chronic physical illness. Dr. Korn's life and career have taken her to both Harvard and to the jungle of Mexico with many stops in between. She states that she has been a rebel from the start, always questioning authority and seeking to do meaningful work for humanity. And her desire to heal others serendipitously brought her to deeply healing herself first. Dr. Korn is also a passionate advocate for culturally traditional medicines used by people around the world. Today I'm so excited to be diving in and talking with Dr. Korn, but first, here's a cute little moment we shared right before starting the show. Now I have a quick sip of my coffee.
1: Oh, me too.
0: Mm. Cheers. Oh, is that an espresso?
1: Mm-hmm. Nice. And with freshly made almond milk, I'm very lucky, my husband makes fresh almond milk once or twice a week. Oh, wow. Reason for your visit in January. Yes, yes. <laughs>
0: All right. So I thought for today, we can sort of dive right in. I'm someone who really does tie in health and fitness into the world of mental health. And when I came across your work, I thought, this is genius. This is just exactly what everybody needs. And so I was thrilled when uh, you said that you would interview with me and come on the podcast, because I think your work is remarkable. And I do really want to share it with the world. So without further ado, if you could tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got into this field. Sure. Mm -hmm.
1: Well, I really got into this world of trauma treatment and really healing uh, when I left Boston at the age of 20. I dropped out of school and I traveled to the west coast of Mexico, really on a lark, uh, searching for meaning and purpose. And I wanted to write and um, really wanted to experience life. And uh, what happened is I ended up in the jungle. Uh, where there were no cars, no roads, no electricity. It was an indigenous, small indigenous village on the coast. And I just fell in love with it, with being there with the people. Uh, I felt like I had landed at home. And I stayed for 10 years the first time and uh, learned so much about my own health and about staying healthy naturally. There were no doctors or nurses, so I had to rely on uh, local healers and herbalists and corenderas. And at the same time, you know, I had left Boston as a feminist activist I'd been involved in the anti-war movement and the Women's Our Bodies Ourselves movement really from a teenager, but I'd also trained in meditation. I practiced yoga. And so I also had this interest, even as an undergraduate, I'd studied acupuncture with uh, Mm a Chinese doctor. So I had these two themes running through me of the natural world and natural health and self-regulation though i don't think we called it that at the time mm-hmm. uh, along with social activism and social change and self-determination particularly as a feminist interest in women's health and as i lived there over the years i i trained in body work that's really where my clinical work began i i wasn't there non-stop but i mm-hmm. i leave every six months, travel up to California, and travel back United you know, States for a few weeks perhaps. And over time, I, I studied body work in large part out of, out of books, and I also had a mentor and really eclectically drew these different methods and trained in cranial sacral work and polarity therapy and deep tissue massage. And as I worked with people, I started a clinic there, a little public health center that was free. Uh, drew in the women that were my neighbors and friends around their herbs, and really was very interested in supporting traditional medicine practices. And um, as I worked with people, they told me the stories of their trauma. And now mm-hmm. I was ill equipped to engage with them as we are as psychotherapists, mm-hmm. but I listened. And I began to understand the ways in which the body held the story of the trauma and people told their stories while they were on the table. And so after 10 years of running my clinic, which then evolved into a place where people came for seminars, where people came and donated their time, and it really evolved as a natural medicine public health clinic, I then felt like it was time to go back to the city, back to Boston, and do some formal, more formal study in psychology and psychotherapy. And so that took me then to that next level of understanding.
0: I had no idea that that was your story, that you left at 20. You know, you were sort of on this journey to find yourself. And look at what you've created. It brings a tear to my eye right now. My goodness. And so, so then you went and you got your PhD and you focused specifically on plant-based medicines. And so I know that a lot of our foods can influence hormones, um, can cause inflammation. And so when I think of PTSD and I think of holding everything in the body, I'm just curious if you can expand on that a little bit and the particular foods that you would advise people to stay away from and gravitate toward?
1: Sure. Well, I want to make the link between what happens when we do psychotherapy and the missing piece, which I I think nutrition. I began in food and herbs and nutrition, and then my studies took me into public health, into studying very conventional psychotherapy, psychodynamic work, and I practiced for 15 years. But what I found, meaning I I practiced both psychotherapy and body-oriented psychotherapy. What I found was the missing piece, of course, is exercise, but it was particularly the food uh, in the the diets that people were eating, that if we weren't nourishing the brain, you know, we talk a lot about the mind, Mm -hmm. but the brain in many ways is the channel. It's the organ in which we channel the mind, and if we don't nourish it correctly, then we don't have, the metaphor that I use is we don't have the right fuel in our engine, like we're driving a car, but we're on empty, or we're driving a car and we need diesel fuel because of the type of car, meaning the type of engine we have in particular, but we're on a different octane. So there's a mismatch and we're sputtering. And I became particularly interested in this in the late 80s, when the myth of low serotonin causing depression came out in 1988 with the arrival of Prozac, the first SSRI. Mm -hmm. And so what I witnessed was, we know the value and the importance of talk therapy and everything we do is an adjunct to that. But what began happening is that people were shifted out of the process of of self-awareness And revelation and putting the pieces together Mm -hmm. into what we have now, which is an epidemic of psychotropic um, prescription and prescribing as though giving a pill or two or three or four really is going to nourish the brain. So I became very passionate about nutrition Mm -hmm. and role of nutrition being very individual to each person. And I think that is what you also recognize in this concept of the rainbow blueprint that there's no one right diet for everyone. There's no vegan, there's no vegetarian, there's no carnivore, there's no keto, whatever the latest fad is. Mm-hmm. We have a very diverse world. Yes. And very diverse populations. So I took it to the next step of recognizing there is no one right diet. Mm -hmm. So we have some basics. And the question that I always raise with my clients is, did your grandmother or great grandmother or great grandfather eat this? Mm -hmm. Can you go pick this uh, packet of sweet and low off a tree? Uh, what What is it that Mother Nature has given us as human animals to nourish our brains and our bodies and our mind? Mm-hmm. And what is industrialized uh, food giving us? And let's make a choice. So I begin with people around, let's return to nature because that's what happens in trauma. It throws us off our natural rhythms. Mm-hmm. It throws us off our ability to nourish ourselves not just emotionally and self-regulate, but even can I prepare a meal? Can I make a a delicious drink for myself? Or am I grabbing something of fast food? Mm -hmm. So that's where I begin with people to try to help them understand getting off what's called the SAD diet, the standard American diet. Uh because it It makes you sad. It
0: does. It does. Even I notice, and you know, I work out regularly. I eat really, I call it clean, but I notice if I'm having something that is industrialized, I notice that my mood shifts and I notice that I don't have the same resilience that I would have if I ate better. And better for me is cleaner foods that don't impact example, hormones and things like that. And so I just want to go back one second, just for those who are listening, who may not be familiar with the difference between brain and mind. Do you mind, do you mind (laughs) (laughs) kind of explaining it, how you view the, the differences of the two?
1: Well, I think our brain is our organ and I'm not a consciousness expert except through personal consciousness exploration. But I think we have to consider our brain. In some ways, our brain is the car and our consciousness is the driver. That's us. We drive the car. The car is there to serve us, uh, to, to move us along. So we have to feed the brain. We have to give it the right amount of gas. We've got to lube it and we've got to cleanse it. So there is our lubrication with our fats, our good quality fats. We have to cleanse it. We we clean out the oil filter just like we need to clean our liver out. So there's lots of ways we can have fun with that metaphor. I love your use of the word resilience because we talk about building emotional resilience, but this part of it also asserts that we need to build biological resilience Mm. because trauma tramples on our biology. Trauma tramples on our biological resilience. And you've mentioned hormones and eating clean. And I think the main thing that happens when we don't eat clean is that it just triggers a whole cascade of hormonal effects and what are called excitotoxins in the brain where uh, the nerve endings and and the neurons are very unhappy with being exposed to these artificial flavors or um, uh, really technologically created foods rather than nature's foods. And that's so much of what we see, particularly with people who are already challenged by trauma, mm-hmm. already challenged hormonally with cortisol or excess estrogen that can drive endometriosis, which is uh, occurs at a higher rate among trauma survivors, mm-hmm. PMS. So it's all this cascade. And my approach is twofold. One is reduce the exposure that's causing the problem and strengthen our capacity to cope with the exposures because they're inevitable. But that way you reduce the burden and you strengthen that capacity to cope with what's out there.
0: Yes. You mentioned a little bit earlier, there is no one diet. There is no one way that everybody should be eating. And then you follow that up by saying that there are basics. So if you were to sort of maybe list a few of those, what would that look like?
1: Yes, I think there are basics we can all agree to. I think one of our biggest culprits is refined foods like refined sugar and refined flour. And so I think there are very few absolutes but I think most people will do much better if they can give up sugar, okay. give up refined flour. That doesn't mean that you can't enjoy an occasional cake at a birthday party. There's a theory that if we do everything, like if we eat clean 80 or 90% of the time, our, we can tolerate a little bit of debauchery. Yeah. that's not That's not what throws us over the edge it's the 80 or 90% of the fast food. And what I ask people to do is think about nourishment, because I think, you know, in trauma, we consider the concept of personal dissociativity. But I think we have a social dissociation where we're always plying people with the myth that there's no relationship between what they eat and how they feel emotionally and mentally and physically. Mm -hmm. So that's first thing we have to overcome is paying attention to I feel this way when I eat this way that's the first piece of becoming Mm self-aware so I think besides sugar and refined flour the other really easy fix to make in our diets is eating really healthy fats yeah getting rid of the poor quality fats uh, because those drive inflammatory process in the body which drives pain and depression and anxiety, even bipolar, which is a uh, misdiagnosis of what really is PTSD or complex trauma. Mm-hmm. So, want to think about reducing our exposure to the things that cause us to burn inside, that that create a fire of inflammation, because that affects our brain as well as the rest of our body and you know from your own work that it leads to a cascade of effects that i've got a headache i've got pain because i've got inflammatory process now i'm going to take a pill like an NSAID, a non-steroidal anti-inflammatory and that has its own problem with my liver and my stomach yeah that leads to more effects and that can lead to the needing Uh, proton pump inhibitor. And so people are engaged in this endless cascade of suppressing symptoms that arise really in large part from either food insecurity or lack of access to these quality foods. Mm -hmm. So I think if you're going to make the first two steps, you relinquish sugar, you relinquish the white flour, except on very special occasions, and you concentrate on your good, healthy fats that nourish your brain and nourish your body. And these are uh, olive oil, cold-pressed olive oil. You can't do better than that. Even coconut oil, a little bit of cold-pressed sesame oil is fine. Even some ghee or raw butter that's where I'd focus my attention in lubricating the brain and the neurons and get rid of the canola oil and the safflower and the corn and the all that
0: all of those things yeah a lot of what I'm hearing is there's this this cycle that happens it's like I'm Feeling sad, maybe, right? So maybe eat a cheeseburger, and sometimes can cascade into alcohol. Maybe they're feeling like they've gained some weight, or they feel like they there's so much yo-yo in their emotions, and then they reach for another external solution, band-aid solution. I do air quotes for those who are listening. Um, and so, how do you see alcohol playing a role in this?
1: You've really identified an important aspect of this, which is self-medication. And the experience of trauma is so disruptive to the ability to self-regulate. We seek ways to do that. And that's our whole field of addictions. What we think of as addictive behavior is really the need to self-regulate gone awry meaning we seek something to calm our anxiety hence alcohol we, but it ends up being a depressant we seek food like a cheeseburger mm-hmm. to calm our nerves let's say now there's nothing intrinsically wrong with the cheeseburger I would suggest that rather than get your cheeseburger at McDonald's or Wendy's or wherever, that you say, I feel like a cheeseburger. You listen to your gut, you're craving animal protein, you're craving all of what's in it. And you say, I'm going to get some grass fed ground beef at the farmer's market. Uh, I'm going to get a whole wheat roll if you're not uh, allergic or sensitive to gluten or if you are you get a gluten-free bun and you put together this delicious meal for yourself so it's not always about what it is it's about improving the quality of the food that you're eating so that you don't feel like you're depriving yourself because you can't sustain a life that's filled with deprivation yeah so I think there are a lot of ways to work with this. Alcohol is uh, a self-medicating tool that people use, except it's gone awry. So when I'm working with people with alcohol, and by the way, alcohol converts to pure sugar. Yeah. So what happens when people drink a lot of alcohol, they become addicted to the alcohol in large part Because of the sugar. This is why when we work with people in recovery, we still have to help people get off the sugar addiction. And what do we see? Let's say at AA and 12 step, we see pastries and coffee laid out there. This is the failure of most of our alcohol treatment that doesn't incorporate nutrition because they, when they're serving tapioca pudding and jello and peas and gravy, we're still beating the physical addiction. So our greatest success with treating PTSD, and you know, alcohol use disorder occurs at 70 plus percent with PTSD. They go hand in hand and and we treat them together. They have to be treated together, but we have to incorporate healthy foods and recognize the challenge of uh, the sugar cravings. And when, when I'm working with people, I have what I call in, in, in my book, the rainbow blueprint, and also um, rhythms of recovery the book on uh, new book on trauma, the principle of substitutions, you ask yourself, what am I craving? And then you find a healthy substitute, for let's say the alcohol or uh, the cheeseburger, you say to yourself, I need something because this is what people who are addicted have such a hard time identifying is, what is it I need and how can I fulfill that need or who do I look to to help me do that? Mm -hmm. And And in the case of diet and nutrition, we're looking for something, whether it's fats, carbs, or protein to alter our mood And so when I'm working with alcohol recovery, I've got this wonderful drink uh, called the Carrot Jubilee, rich in natural sugars, rich in carrot juice, healing for the liver, rich in apple juice, very healing for the liver, and rich in beet juice, the most healing uh, plant on earth for the liver. So we're healing the liver, but we're also saying, let's give you healthy sugar as we wean you off this refined sugar addiction of alcohol. And that's just really the first step. We go to things like collagen and bone broths and vegetable broths, because people often can't digest very well after alcohol use disorder. So we target what it is people need and do it individually, do it personally. You're
0: you're blowing my mind right now because alcohol does turn into sugar, which, you know, I was aware, but I never really connected the dots that it could also very much be a sugar addiction. Um, and you explain that so, so well. And so you have another book out.
1: Yes, I both came out in June, by the way, once the rainbow <laughs> blueprint, uh, which I wrote as to accompany my certification courses in particular but it's a standalone book on integrative medicine and nutrition for mental health. My book on trauma, which is uh, really one of my favorite books is all about the treatment of trauma using integrative medicine and natural medicine and drawing the connection between the mind and the body in treatment uh, and and covering, nutrition and herbal medicine and detox, but in the context of complex trauma mm-hmm. treatment. So it's really designed for the therapist uh, in particular, uh, but it, but many people uh, find it useful.
0: Wonderful. Wonderful. Where can people find you? I know you do some courses with, is it uh, PESI?
1: Yes, I do teach with PESI. I do some uh, uh, on-site retreats. We've got a retreat coming up in Sedona in, I I want to say October. And uh, I also have my own institute where I've got three online certification programs. And I also have shorter programs uh, where uh, any, that, that are really open to anyone. I've got stress reduction, And uh, I've got programs on diabetes type two, which often co-occurs with uh, trauma. Um, We're about to launch some very special brain-mind exercise and coordination uh, videos uh, because I do a lot of work. As you know, PTSD co-occurs with traumatic brain injury quite commonly. Mm -hmm. So, uh, So people can find me online at Dr. Leslie Korn. Uh, and and i've got lots of blogs and uh, recipes and i've got 10 books out now some of which are filled with recipes and some are how-to and uh, some just go at your own pace and then i've got a clinical practice where i work with people uh, who are primarily not only but primarily have trauma backgrounds Mm -hmm. who want to understand how to go the next step in their own health. Many of them want to get off medication.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. uh, And so I do a lot of that as I've got a three hour course on tapering uh, by the way, and meaning tapering medication. So I really, I do a lot of work with women uh, of all ages and also a lot of parents with children. I see a lot of misdiagnosis. Uh, of children under stress or children who've been exposed. You know, we've got ODD and ADHD and bipolar, I think our three most uh, specious diagnostic categories that are often really what we find at the root is dysregulation of the nervous system and of the circadian rhythm. So I do a lot of work to keep kids off meds or at least help them get off meds. So I do a lot of work supporting parents. So um, it's very eclectic and and creative.
0: Yeah, very important work. Because yeah, I heard a stat the other day. I don't remember the the number, but it was alarming about the number of children, including um, some infants, who are on these uh, regulating medications like forms of Ritalin and so forth. And it just breaks my heart. And it's it is really it's a dysregulation. They need a calm nervous system to help calm their own nervous system. And I'm I'm just so happy that you're doing this work. It's really important.
1: Yeah, well, thank you. I I agree with you. It breaks my heart too. And you know, I think when we look back on this time period, hopefully it'll be over at some point. I don't know if you remember that um, autism used to be blamed on mothers. Uh, it was the leading theory in the 1960s. Mothers were called refrigerator mothers because the theory uh, at the time, and then the treatment was that women were cold that's why they were called refrigerator mothers and that's what led to autism and really if you look at the history of medicine you look at the history of a great deal of uh missteps uh and and particularly not, not solely but particularly assaults on women assaults on mothers uh and it was very damaging and very traumatizing to women and we can go back to looking at lobotomies of the 1950s, thinking that that was going to cure psychosis. Well, it cured brain functions, what it did. It, it absolutely mm-hmm. destroyed brain function. And we can go back in time. Now, today we think, well, we know what's going on. Uh, but I would suggest that our equivalent today to lobotomies and to the refrigerator mother is, is these misdiagnosis and over uh, prescribing, uh, I would maintain that there's very little reason medications are needed and that unfortunately uh, that is the ethos in which we live, but it doesn't make it right or correct. And I think hopefully it won't take 10 years, but 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, we'll look back and say, what were people thinking?
0: Yeah. One of the other things that, you know, when I'm thinking of all these pills is sleep. A lot of people who have dysregulation, they can't sleep. So whether it's post-traumatic stress or post-traumatic stress disorder or complex, do you have anything to offer in terms of how they can sleep?
1: It's absolutely where I start. Without sleep, you can't have good mental health And I've got two books that address this. One is called Nutrition Essentials for Mental Health. And the companion book is called The Good Mood Kitchen. And I begin with sleep. And there are a lot of ways that we can work with sleep, not just sleep hygiene, which is the basics, But we know that sleep is disrupted in trauma because of what you mentioned earlier, hormones, because cortisol disrupts sleep. Mm -hmm. And so in my practice, we measure cortisol levels so that we understand uh, where the balance is and what the rhythm is of the excretion or secretion. Of that hormone but we also look at where there's a deficit of nutrients for example magnesium is essential for good night's sleep and most people are deficient in magnesium so we uh, i recommend a particular magnesium for sleep called magnesium threonate Uh, it crosses the blood-brain barrier and it helps you sleep better we also use lithium the mineral lithium not the medication lithium yeah lithium was discovered and it's used as a medication because it was first understood and used and discovered worldwide as a mineral that helps you relax and feel balanced and it balances your circadian rhythm which means normally we should be getting up when the sun comes up and going to sleep when the sun goes down now our modern lives we don't do this we counteract that but basically we're acting as though our bodies are not our biology that we're trying to attune to nature we need to approximate that and so one of the reasons we give lithium the the um carbonate the pharmaceutical to people with bipolar is because in bipolar disorder as you know that clock is off. That clock, people go to sleep at 3 or 4 a.m. and they wake up at noon. Their clock is totally off kilter. And lithium is theorized to help balance out that clock. However, as you know, lithium pharmaceutical has pretty challenging side effects. But the lithium pharmaceutical really came about, as many pharmaceuticals do, from the knowledge of indigenous peoples of the exposure and drinking lithium-rich Waters. And we know you have lithium-rich waters up in Canada. We do here in uh, the United States and in Mexico and around the world. You can read research on people who drink water that's rich in this mineral. Uh, there's no domestic violence, there's no anger, there's no depression, there's no road rage in those communities because lithium really nourishes the brain. So we know that lithium, magnesium, essential fatty acids, Uh, not eating the stimulant foods like the refined, the pro-inflammatory foods. We really put together a whole protocol for people, but you can begin by reading about those methods. The other thing we were talking about alcohol, when I'm working with someone who's coming off of alcohol, because as you know, alcohol really disrupts sleep. People often drink to go to sleep, but then they wake up a few hours later because it Birth into a stimulant, so I like to work with some gentle herbs uh, and and nutrients. Could be tryptophan, could be 5-HTP. It might be kava kava. There there are a variety of ways we bundle these different nourishing. uh, I call it nourishing the neurons to help Mm. people sleep. Uh, We do timed exercise and uh, we go from there, really transforming one's self care uh approach so there's lots to do with sleep and i agree it's it's really the most important place to start
0: yeah yeah and and just for those listening i'm sure they're wondering where can we're going can get some lithium that's natural you mentioned in water is that some sort of source
1: yes you're gonna go off on a nice vacation uh into some mineral springs lithium rich mineral springs but you can't Really bottle it much anymore, but we use uh, over-the-counter nutrients. But you know, now that you're saying this, I don't think it's uh, uh available in Canada. Okay. You're in Canada. I am. Uh, in the United States and most of the rest of the world, but Canada does not allow it. Uh, so uh, there may have to be some other creative ways to get it. Okay. You can what you can do. There's another thing that I use for sleep called Alpha people can go to my health store. If you go onto my website, I've got a health store of my favorite products a very simple intervention is wearing blue light blocking glasses where even though we're not going to sleep none of us are going to go to sleep when it gets dark we just have a modern life but if i put on blue light blocking glasses i start to give information to the brain that it's time to quiet down and stop stimulating it and so i always have my clients and my children clients uh, put on these glasses mm-hmm. and then they start to get sleepy. So there's aromas that will help you get sleepy like lavender, uh, lithium, which you get through my um, through some of my accounts uh, when when people are clients, but you can research it, mm-hmm. but you'd have to do it on a trip uh somewhere outside of Canada to access it.
0: Yes, yes. But you know what? The the first thing is knowing and you've shared so much with us. And I, I'm just so happy that we were able to connect and, and pick your brain and get all this wonderful information. And and again your books are out two books.
1: Rhythms of Recovery, Integrative Medicine for the Treatment of PTSD and complex trauma, and the Brainbow Blueprint. And those are two of my latest books. And you can find everything on Amazon. I've got an Amazon page, or you can go directly to the publisher, go to my webpage. And uh, I've got some downloads and, uh, you know, some sections that you can read about.
0: HEAL Podcast is an educational platform that aims to depathologize trauma through meaningful conversations. None of the information provided is intended to replace conventional therapy, and all listeners are invited to seek their own professional services for their unique concerns. We are thrilled to have our listeners as part of our growing community. We strive to make our conversations as educational as possible. And of course, interruption free, which is why we do not include advertisements. So with that, I ask that you please subscribe to heal podcast, like, and share it with your friends. And of course, with your social media to support the growth of this channel. I'd love to stay in touch with you. So come follow me on Instagram at Heal Psychotherapy. You can follow me on YouTube and you can also come visit us at HealPodcast.com where we do give away lots of free resources. You can get a free ebook and you can also submit a question for our next guest. Last but not least, I'd like to take a moment to thank Jordan Bernard for creating the music for Heal Podcast. And of course, I'd like to thank you so much for being here. And as always, I'm truly rooting for you.